This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from BRF Ministries. Parenting for Faith exists to help you help the children and teens in your life to meet and to know God. We do this through online events, courses and resources. And you can find out more at parentingforfaith.org. Hello and welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Anna Hawkin, I'm your host, and this is episode four of season seven, the one with the birds and the bees. We are going to be talking today about the facts of life, uh, actually not using a metaphorical story that's confusing. We're going to be talking about being really factual and really clear with our children and young people. So this is just a little bit of a heads up that we're going to be talking about um, themes of a sexual nature. Um, there's also a bit of a reference to sexual abuse and to pornography as well. So this might be one that you don't want to listen to with little ears around, uh, either wait until they're in bed or pop your headphones in. So yeah, just giving you a little bit of a warning on that. Uh, Before we get into it, I also wanted to tell you about our next pop-up small group, which is on the 17th of October, eight o'clock on Facebook Live. We would love you to gather with some friends. So that could be in your church, it could be in someone's living room, it could just be online with a Zoom call afterwards. But we're going to be talking about how to help our kids to make great decisions. They have to make a zillion decisions every day. And some of those are small and it doesn't really matter what they choose. And some of them are huge and have lasting impacts on their life. So we really want to give them a great framework. It's going to be Rachel Turner who's delivering that, who is always amazing and welcomes your questions. We love you to comment and ask questions and interact as we go through. So whack that in your your diary if you haven't already. 17th of October, how to talk to our kids about decision making. But let's go over now to my conversation with Emma Waring. I am really pleased to be joined today by Emma Waring. Emma is a nurse and psychosexual therapist. She's also an author of the book Seasons of Sex and Intimacy. And we are so grateful that Emma has um, agreed to be on the podcast today. Now, she works with adults. um, So her specialism isn't children as such, but so much of her work talking to adults and unpacking how they feel about sex and in their relationships and all those kind of things starts right back from when they were children and how their parents or primary caregivers talk about sex. So we thought that she would be a brilliant person to ask. So Emma, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. So it's a little bit of an unusual job, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, How did you get into it? It is. And I often get asked this. So um, I'm a nurse by background. I was a cardiac specialist nurse um, and I was involved in cardiac rehabilitation. And that involves talking to patients and their partners about recovering from a heart event. So it might have been heart surgery or a heart attack. Um, So we'd talk about all aspects of life. And one of those aspects was resuming sexual activity. Was it safe? What were the potential problems? So I got quite used to talking about sex with patients and their partners. Um, At the same time, I was doing my degree and I chose to look at this subject. How do we talk to our patients about sex? Um, What are some of the things that might um, hold us back from discussing it as a nurse? Um, And so I did that for my dissertation um, and that coincided with one of the cardiac doctors at work wanting to set up a clinic 
treating male cardiac patients with erectile dysfunction. And it sounds a, a funny link, but the two are very strongly linked. So if you've got heart disease, you are likely to have some degree of erectile dysfunction. And indeed, if you've got erectile dysfunction, it might be an early warning sign of heart disease. So I got into it that way. And then I realized pretty quickly that I needed some additional training. So I went on and trained as a sex and relationship therapist. And I've sort of merged those two roles, which which has been really helpful. So I've got the kind of medical um, nursing side and the therapy and relationship side. Um, and I've been uh, doing this work now for over 20 years. Wow, what a story. Fantastic. <laughs> so, I mean, this is something that many parents and carers find difficult to talk about. I said in that intro, you know, lots of people grew up in homes where it just wasn't ever mentioned. Um, and so before we get into a bit more of, of the nitty gritty of different ages and what we can be saying and not saying, can you give us a bit of an overview, a bit of a background of why it's important? You know, why should we be having these conversations with our kids? Why not just leave it to the playground or the Internet or whatever else to, for them to find out about sex? Well, it's a good question. And I think that we can all universally agree that we love our children and we want the best for them. And there is absolutely no doubt that as parents, we are the best people to talk to our children um, about their bodies um, and about sex. Um, and we can lay some really important foundations down, which as children grow and get older, we can layer with more and more and more information that they will need as they grow. Um, but we know our children better than anyone else. And um, so I... I feel really passionately that we have, um, you know, we have a duty to give our children the best start in terms of understanding um, these issues. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is, is that as part of my assessment, when I meet somebody, um, could be a man or a woman, um, I will not just focus on, I'm typically working with people that are experiencing sexual difficulties and problems. Um, and that could be a number of different things. Um, but rather than looking at that problem in isolation, I want to think about that person as a whole. Um, I want to think about um, their uh, emotional well-being. I want to think about a relationship if they're in one. I want to think about the physical side of things, um, the impact, for example, of illness on sexual functioning. So I do quite an in-depth interview when I meet somebody early on. And one of the first questions I will ask them is, tell me about your family. So tell me about your parents or your main caregivers. Do you have siblings? Describe to me in three words um, how you would describe your upbringing. Um, and as part of that conversation, I will ask them, uh, you know, how did you learn about where babies come from? Um, and uh, did you um, did you witness your parents being physically affectionate with each other or were they quite reserved? Did you have kisses and cuddles from your parents or again, were they quite reserved? Um, how did they talk about sex? Did they talk about sex? Um, and I glean such important information from that. Um, and what I think I've learned over the years is that you can give a message through not saying something, which is just as strong as saying something negative. Um, so it's absolutely key. How we talk to our children will and does impact how they think about their bodies 
um, and how they will think about their bodies um, as sexual beings. So I think it's really key that we are able to talk about the subject and also to talk about it in a positive way, which I recognise is not easy. But people like you coming and helping us uh, makes a difference. So thank you. And I love what you said there about parents knowing their children best, because that's so much of our philosophy here at Parenting for Faith is you may not feel like an expert in social media or explaining sex to children or even faith. Um, But actually, you're the person best positioned. You know your children best. You're with them the most. They trust you. And, you know, you have that relationship to do that. I'd like to pick up on what you said there as well, actually, about um, children being interested in their bodies and particularly their genitals. We had quite a few questions. We have a um, a contact us page on our website and we get all sorts of questions in, all sorts of aspects of faith. And we had a while where we had three or four questions in quick succession from uh, parents all asking about this. And interestingly, they all use the term masturbation uh, whilst talking about quite young children sort of uh, exploring and touching their genitals. And Initially, we thought, okay, this isn't us, you know, this is not our area. But we realised the reason people are coming to a a faith-based organisation to ask about that is because they're interested in how their faith, their theology, what God thinks about bodies, what God thinks about sexuality, um, affects how they frame this, how they explain it to their children and what they should say to them. So I wanted to start by asking you really about those so younger children. We're talking here maybe three, four, five. Um, so both in that particular situation of when they're kind of exploring their genitals and asking about them and other bits of their body, how can we as parents be talking to them about that and giving them that positive view that you were saying is so important? Yeah. So I think one of the key things you've mentioned is is differentiating between ages. So the conversation that you have with your three year old may be very different from the conversation that you want to have with a 15 or 16 year old. Um, And certainly I wouldn't use the term masturbation when I'm referring to uh, young children, Um, uh, because what they're doing is they're just enjoying touching their bodies um at this at that young age it's not a sexual thing um they they are just enjoying touching um and exploring their bodies and um it's very comforting it feels nice and it's very comforting for children to touch their genitals um and really I try and avoid the word normal in the work that I do, as I'm sure you can appreciate why, um, because there's a vast spectrum. So I tend to use the word usual, but it is very usual practice. It's what we expect to see um, in young children. So it's really healthy. And our response to that is really key in terms of how they think about their genitals. So um, I think what we need to do is we need to acknowledge that it can feel nice um, and then we need to start talking about where might be appropriate for them to do that. So if they're three um, and they're sitting on the sofa watching television um, and uh, you know they're, they're touching their genitals it, we and there's nobody else in the house um, and we're comfortable we're just happy to leave and be we might decide actually we're not we're not going to say anything at that stage. If we notice that they're doing that out and about, um, we might then want to say, oh, um, it can feel really nice when we touch our bodies, can't it? And when, you know, mummy gives your 
uh, back a stroke or you like to twirl your hair can our bodies can feel really nice and it's nice to touch I mean, it's nice to touch different parts but there are some things that's important that we just do in the house in it just in private and again it depends on the age so if you've got a three-year-old you might be fairly relaxed about them touching their genitals whilst watching television when they're eight you might decide actually that doesn't feel appropriate and we're going to start talking about that's something that they need to do in their bedroom or in their bathroom um, because actually we need to just be mindful of other people in the house and whilst it's a nice thing to do um, we need to sort of ring fence that to to, so that it's appropriate. Um, I think you don't want to have that conversation with the children when they're too young because they will stop. It will be too confusing with them. I think what a child that's three versus the child that eight is eight is, you know, that's quite a big difference. Mm. One of the things that I think that we have to grapple with a bit in ourselves as parents is a sense of panic. So we might, we might see um, our five-year-old, um, uh, at somebody's house on a play date with their hands down their trousers, play, you know, touching themselves. Um, and we might get a rising sense of panic about this isn't appropriate. They shouldn't be doing this. Um, and you want them to stop it. And the temptation can be that your fear is transmitted to them and they pick up that they've done something naughty or it's dirty or it's shameful. And you mm. really want to avoid that. So so I think it's worth checking out with yourself what's going on here. I feel really panicked. Okay, I feel panicked because I haven't actually had the conversation about appropriate touching. And now I've witnessed them do it in public and I feel a bit embarrassed about it. But hold on to that and think, okay, the time to talk about this is in a relaxed way when we get home. Um, And if they're doing it and you want to distract them, it might be that you get them to hold something so they remove their hands um, and you, you, you divert their attention. But what I've what I've heard a number of times from patients I've worked with is that the parents have panicked and their response has then shamed the child, Mm. smacked their hand um, or they've sort of yanked their arm away and said, stop it. You know, don't do that. Um, And so the child, without any awareness or any understanding, has thought I've done something really naughty. Mm. Uh, And that can then start off negative thinking around that area down there is dirty Mm. and it's really really important that that they're not picking that up yeah and I love what you've sort of explained there is that different families will do it in different ways you know be at different ages and even within a family your children will respond in different ways and and again you know them best but that key thing seems to be about not um avoiding shame not making it something that's shameful and as you say I think the, the parental fear or panic, or it's our own emotions, jump into that. We talk a lot in Parenting for Faith about framing, helping our children to understand the world and where God is in God is in it and all those sort of things. And I think it's really helpful to remember that doesn't always have to be in the moment. You can take a deep breath, think about what you want to say, go and, you know, you might want to get a book from the library or find a programme or decide with your partner how you want to explain something but it's okay not to react in the in that moment but as you say if you can avoid anything that kind of um starts off those negative associations or kind of shame cycle that's really helpful yeah 
Absolutely. And it can be that you can make an observation. So it might be, particularly with an older child, it may be a conversation that you felt you had and then you were out and about and you noticed that they were touching themselves. Um, and and then it could be a conversation that you have, which is, oh, um, um, you know, I, you know, we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago about touching. And I noticed that when we went over to Granny's, you were touching yourself. And I wondered, I wondered what, you know, I wondered whether you don't want to say, I wonder why you're doing that, um, because they may be doing it because it's just comforting. Mm. Um, but but to just be really gentle, I know I, I'm aware that when we were at Granny's house, you were touching yourself and, you know, it's really nice to touch yourselves and it's absolutely fine. But just be a little bit mindful that when we touch ourselves in our private, in our privates, we need to do that in our bedroom or in the bathroom um, because it is a quite a private thing. So I think I think it's just about being firstly not shaming and then being um, kind and you can always be curious with your child rather than being critical, be curious. Mm. Um, and, you know, it might be that you need to question them a bit more as to you thought you had this conversation, but it keeps happening. It might be they say, well, the thing is, I was a bit worried because I knew that we were going to do so and so and I was a bit worried and I find and then you might say, oh, OK, so is that something you do when you're worried then? Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a tricky one because you want to do something that's comforting, but you need to find something that's going to be more appropriate when you're out and about. So you 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 want to leave them feeling good. Mm. Oh, yeah, kind and curious. That's a really good I mantra. Know. And as yeah. you said earlier, not, not jumping to a sexual explanation, especially with Absolutely. young children. Absolutely. Uh, it was one one situation and actually it, it helped for the parent to ask, is, is your underwear too tight or uncomfortable? Or, you know, actually it was nothing to do with that at all. It was a totally different explanation. But I think because it's in that whole area, as you say, as a parent, you can panic and um, make assumptions about what's going on. But those curious questions and asking with kindness will unpack that and, and help that to, uh, you know, come out and have a good conversation about it. So that's great. So we've talked quite a bit about younger children there. What about as they start to get a bit older, uh, you know, there's, there's, they're growing up, we're aware puberty is on the horizon or has already started. How can we explain some of that as part of God's design and God's amazing plan for humans and their bodies and what happens? So um, the way that I think about it is this, and I, I went to an interesting talk at a conference once and, and the speaker ended up talking about how do we talk to our children, which was which was uh, really interesting. And she was saying the typical age for children to ask about uh, where babies come from is around the age of three. And if you think about it, we start taking our children to farms uh, when they're sort of walking two, three to see the baby animals. So it's very, very uh, common for children at that age to say where do babies come from and at the beginning I was saying to you that we lay foundations and we then layer on top and that's how I view it so when a child of three says where does a baby come from um, we need to explain in simple language um, how that happens um, and then we need to um, be led by the questions that our children ask. So if they are asking a question, 
it indicates to us that their mind is trying to work something out and therefore they will be able to cope with an answer as long as it's age appropriate. Children don't, I mean, sometimes children will ask questions that are really difficult to answer, you know, some sort of scientific question, for example. Um, But the fact that they are inquisitive enough uh, to ask questions means that they will be able to cope with receiving an answer, but we just have to be careful about how we do it. Um, And the best way to approach this is to be factual, is just to be really, really factual about it. Um, and different uh, uh, people will have different approaches. Uh, you can talk about an egg and a seed. Now, the, the, the thing that stumps most parents is talking about how do the egg and the seed meet? Yes. And I my approach and sense is we need to be factual. We cannot go wrong if we are factual. So let's imagine we've had conversations already when the children are little, they're having bath time. We talk about different body parts, willies, privates, penises, vaginas. Um, and it may be that you have a conversation that is something along the lines of um, how is a baby made? Well, there is a seed in a man and there is an egg in a woman and they meet, and that's how a baby's made, and then a baby grows in the woman's tummy. And you might say, you might make the reference to being a daddy and a mummy. Um, And then they will often say, well, how do they meet? And then the thing that you need to do is be factual. So you say, well, when, and you might say a man and a woman, or you might say, when a mummy and daddy cuddle together, you know that that can feel nice when you're cuddled. Well, they have a special type of cuddle, and they lie together and then the daddy's penis, Willie, is soft. But when he lies with mummy, that becomes hard because it feels really nice. And that's how it's been designed to be. So sometimes it can be soft and sometimes it can be hard. And when it's hard, it can go inside mummy and it can plant the seed. And that is how the seed, so it can go inside of mummy's vagina or mummy's privates depending on what you're using, and there, and that's how the seed is laid. Um, and so you can use terminology like special cuddle. Um, you know, if you're talking to somebody, a little child who's three, as you get older, that language will change. The reason it's really key to do this early, around the age of three when they're starting to ask, is because, sadly, we do need to have conversations with our children about pornography and I read an interesting article many years ago that said we should start talking to our children around the age of seven and eight about pornography and I thought gosh that seems really young but the reason they advocated that was because that is the age that quite a lot of children get smartphones so you you your own child might not have a smartphone but they may be mixing and going to people's houses where there are smartphones so um you need to you need to lay the foundation um, and then you've got things that you can then build upon. The other thing that I think is really key is that um, we need to be talking about appropriate touching. Mm. Um, and there was a report that came out um, for the, from the Centre of uh, Expertise on Child Sexual Abuse. It was a report from 21-22 
And it says that one in 10 children will experience some form of sexual abuse below the age of 16. And most of those that will happen with somebody they know, Mm. which is a really high statistic and really, really sad. But if we've had a talk with our three-year-old about appropriate touching, who can touch, you can touch yourself. And there are certain people that can touch your private area, but only certain people, special people. Um, then if something untoward happens, they are they then have the vocabulary to be able to say this happened. Um, so uh, that's another reason why I believe it's par- a parent's duty and responsibility to talk to their children from a young age about this, because we can then incorporate appropriate and non-appropriate touching. Um, and we can give our children permission to talk to us about And if this were to happen, you must always come and speak to mummy or you speak to daddy about it. So, uh, you know, it's sad that we have to do that, but we can't bury our heads in the sand. We live in the world that we live in. We've got to be real and we've got to arm our children so that they feel protected and are protected and have a voice to be able to say when something is wrong and something is happening to them that is wrong. Um. So, yeah, lots of reasons why we need to start talking young um, and then we need to um, layer uh, the language that we use and the information that we give. Um, So talking about pornography, it's a tricky thing to do. The age of seven or eight feels quite young, but I don't know about you, but my perspective was always, my children are teens now, but were always... I would absolutely hate it if they were exposed to some form of of pornography um, and not have any understanding or vocabulary to say what they had seen. So by explaining to them, they've already got the foundation about what sex is, and you talk about it in a very simple way between a mummy and a daddy, an egg Mm. and a sister, and then you can kind of layer that. They then have some understanding about... Um, And if I were to see this, I would know I could go home and I could say I was at my friend's house and they showed me this thing. Yes. Um, And then you're able to say to them, "Okay, so do you remember we talked about the thing called pornography, which can show people having sex? Um, And it might be lots of different varieties and different types of sexual touching. Do you remember we talked about that? And they'd say, yes, I do. And then the important thing there to say is, um, and how did you feel about that? Well, I felt really scared about it and I didn't, I wasn't sure whether to say anything. Yeah, I can really understand that. So you want to constantly validate your children. I really understand that must have been scary. Mm-hmm. The other thing we need to think about when we're talking about pornography is that they might also feel excited. You know, this sort of tension of, oh, gosh, what am I seeing? It's a bit rude. It's a bit exciting. It's also scary. We don't know what they're going to feel. Um, So, again, we have to give them permission to say, what did that feel like when you saw that? Well, it felt a bit rude. Yes, I understand that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so you've, you've opened up a conversation there. I think the other thing we would all agree as parents um, is that, um, however difficult these conversations might be, we want our children to come to us. Yes. Certainly, you know, I 
I I think that is a privilege if our children come to us with these difficult questions, but they've come to us. Um, they're, they're, they're secure enough to ask us this stuff. They don't, they're not frightened they're going to get told off. Well, they might be, but if we've given them permission, the sense is you can always talk to us about this stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. You you can talk to us and we can work this stuff out with you. Mm. I, I think that's so helpful, isn't it? And and really, it's you've really shown that approach again. I'm, I'm the thing I'm going to take away from this is that kind and curious that they're able to come to you because they know that's how you're going to respond, and they will see that over the years. Because you know this is not going to be a one off question or one off time that they're exposed to something or something might happen or throughout a, a child's life. This could be lots and lots of things. Um, so I, I think that's just really helpful to have that in your mind. If you're not quite sure how to respond, hold on to those things of being kind and curious. I was going to mention on the, um, I thought it was really helpful what you said about the sexual abuse and needing the language. Um, there's a really good resource from the NSPCC called Pantasaurus um, that has a song and a really good way of explaining, you know, when we're talking about kind of the under fives. Um, that what's in your pants belongs only to you. Uh, so we'll put a link to that. So that might be helpful. I know you had a couple of um, books you wanted to suggest or recommend as well. Yeah, I just had a couple of examples there and I just ordered them from the Internet. Um, they There's a The Girl's Guide to Growing Up. Um, so it's trying your first bra, dealing with spots. This is kind of move, moving into puberty, really. Um, yeah. But then also um, Dr. Range, How to Grow Up. Uh, no worries guide for boys. Um, um, this kind of touching between two people that love each other is a really fantastic way for you to show your love to that person and for you to be really close to them and really intimate and do something that you don't do with anyone else in the world. And that's what makes that relationship really unique and special because you just do it with that one person. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I like too that you're saying it's part of the conversation and part of the journey. It's not a case of buy a book, leave it on their pillow and never talk about it again. It's uh, if you use it, it's a tool. It's something to facilitate conversations that you've already had and will have um, rather than kind of an opt out. Emma, you've been so helpful. Thank you so much. Before we go, I did want to just ask um, about your book and where people could get that. I know that's for adults, not for children. But um, yeah, if you could just share about that, please. Yeah. So so my book, um, Seasons of Sex and Intimacy, is um, it's a self-help guide for couples on how to create good sex throughout their relationship. Um, it's for couples in committed relationships. So um, how to create uh, sex um a good sex for the whole of marriage um, and also how to manage common but rarely talked about sexual problems. So um, you can get it from Amazon, you can get it from Waterstones, um, quite a lot of Christian bookshops stock it. Um, and all it's focusing um, uh, on couples, on Christian couples. Um, but one of the things that I've enjoyed uh, reading uh, when I've read some of the reviews on Amazon that are, are couples saying, you know, we're not Christian, but actually we weren't put off by the Christian content. It's really a very practical self-help book. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I kind of it's appropriate for everyone and anyone. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time as well. Thank you. We like to end our podcast with a question to ask your kid to spark an interesting conversation. And what else could we go for this week than asking your child, do you know how babies are made?
or whatever language you use in your family, however you want to start that conversation, why not be proactive and see what they think, what they've got to say and what their questions are. Uh, and yeah, I'd really love to encourage you to get that pop-up small group in your diary and text a couple of friends and encourage them to watch with you. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. We're going to be talking about sex even more, uh, this time more about older children and teenagers with the brilliant Sheila Ray Gregoire from A Bear Marriage. See you then. Bye. Bye.